bragged to his brothers about everything that he was getting. But God was with him. He was an ordinary kid. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 12 again. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, where I have decided to spend the winter there. Do you, okay, to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. Okay, four names, right? Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, and Apollos. Have you ever heard a sermon on uh, the amazing witness that Artemis was throughout Scripture? Nope, never will. Why? Because it's not true. He's a name that's barely mentioned at the end of one of Paul's letters. He's an ordinary guy. He's an ordinary guy. We don't know much about these guys. We know that Zenos was a lawyer. Uh, we, uh, Apollos is mentioned a couple other places. We know that Apollos was an evangelist and he helped uh, do some follow-up to some of Paul's ministry. We also know that he had to be corrected by some people in one of his churches because he was getting the gospel wrong. That's pretty much it. Nothing extraordinary about them. Nothing extraordinary about them at all. In verse 14, Paul says, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. Who are our people? The people of the churches of Crete. Tiny little island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Had a few churches on it. Our people that Paul's referring to are the people in those churches. Nothing special about them. They're not even mentioned by name. Our people. Could be you or me. Could be us. Ordinary people. Nothing amazing about them, right? They're just living their lives. A lot of fishermen, a lot of tradesmen, living their simple lives. And Paul says, make sure that they stay devoted to good works. Verse 15, Paul says, all who are with me send their greetings. Who is he talking about? The people in the churches of the city that he's in, Nicopolis. Anybody know where that city is? I don't. I mean, I could look at a biblical map and find it, but it, I mean, most likely doesn't exist today. But there were churches there, and there were people in those churches, and they were serving just like you and I are. Ordinary people. Each was born again. Each was saved by God. Each was actively involved in the mission of the church. And so I'm, I'm saying this over and over again. There were ordinary people invited into was nothing but extraordinary. And so here's, like when I said that like everything this morning is just kind of clicking into place, when we think about the mission of the church, when we think about what we have been called to do, you and me, so much of it seems mundane and ordinary. Or we can see it in this unbelievably, unbelievably extraordinary light, and then we think, I'm just an ordinary person. There's no way that I could, there's no way that I could teach first to third graders. I don't know my Bible well enough. I can't teach them. I have nothing to offer them. How many of you have ever been, 
been uh, uh, given an opportunity to serve in a specific way that you didn't think you were worthy of. Probably all of us. How many of us tend to view uh, from time to time the, 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 the reading of the Scriptures, our daily reading of the Scriptures, the time we spend in prayer with God as mundane and ordinary? These are uh, commonly called some of the common uh, means by which God gives us His grace. There's nothing ordinary about them. And we, especially in our culture today, see over and over and over and over and over, read the word, pray, devote yourself to good works. We live in Staten, Oregon. It's as ordinary as they come. It's as ordinary as they come. But God wants to do and is doing and will do extraordinary things through ordinary people in ordinary places. That's you, that's me, that's here. That's what we're learning. Like sometimes people like think like why like why do we even bother to to read the ends of these letters? He's just greeting these random people. There's things that we can learn from this. That Paul, the amazing uh Greatest Christian who's ever lived was working with and actively involved with ordinary people. And by the way, Paul was an ordinary dude. But we serve an extraordinary God who will do extraordinary things. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, there's a story about um, Peter and John being called before uh, the Jewish council, and uh, they're questioned, and they give their answers, and here's what it says. It says that the, the council saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, these were fishermen, like in a, in a class system where they were the lowest of the low, the least educated, and they're standing before the Jewish council, and it says that the council was astonished by the boldness and the things that they were saying. It wasn't because they were extraordinary. It was because the God that they were serving was extraordinary. And he was using them in extraordinary ways. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a lame man, and then this is what happens. The, the crowd starts to, to worship Peter, and they start to think, oh my gosh, look, these are gods, we have to, right? And then when Peter saw it, he addressed the people Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made perfect man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. For the presence of the Lord, and that he may send 
the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise uh, up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And that shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter does something, right? Well, God does something through Peter. Something amazing. Something you and I have not seen, probably. Maybe. The people's response is to worship Peter. Sounds a lot like 2019. Doesn't it? This is what we do. And I'm not just talking about our culture. This is what we do in the church. When people do amazing things, what do we do? And what I love about Peter's response is not only does he say, no, 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 no. I didn't do this. God did this. He could have just said that and left it at this. Hey, God did this. You should, you should worship him and praise him. He goes about a hundred steps further and says, you know who did this? Jesus, the guy that you just crucified. Repent. Like he takes it like to the, to the extreme. They're worshiping him and he says, I didn't do this. Jesus did it. And by the way, he's the one that you killed. He's now raised from the dead. You need to repent of your sin and turn to him. He's not trying to impress anybody. He's an ordinary guy given an extraordinary task. Just like you and me. Just like you and me. There's a story um, after Jesus uh, is resurrected and he's appearing. uh, This is in the book of John. He's appearing to his disciples in, in different times and in different ways. And there's a story where uh, the disciples are fishing, right? They're sitting around. They haven't seen Jesus in a while. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And so the disciples go with him, and they're out fishing. And they're in the boat, and they're not catching anything. And they look on the shore, and there's a guy there that says, you know, uh, throw your nets on the other side. And so they throw their nets, and uh, Jesus is cooking them fish. He's cooking them breakfast. And how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. So they're having breakfast around this fire. And Jesus asked Peter three times. What does he ask him? Do you love me? Peter says, yes. And the first, like, the first two times he actually asked him very something more specific. Do you more, love me more than these? And so the question that people argue about is, what are the These. There's only two options, right? If we think, if we picture the scene, there's two options. Who's there? Jesus, Peter, the disciples, and a giant load of fish. 
the these are the fish. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus called him out of that and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He doesn't see Jesus for a while. What does he do? He goes back to fishing. So Jesus calls him out again and says, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes. He says, feed my sheep. Now, you and I have jobs, right? But why are we here? We are here to proclaim Jesus. As it seems, we are here to proclaim Jesus. Now, ordinary people, ordinary places. How many have ever been to an extraordinary place? Yes. Right? We've been to extraordinary places. We've been in ordinary places and had those ordinary places made extraordinary. Right? The Willamette Valley has the most amazing sunsets this time of year. They're extraordinary. There are ways in which we see the extraordinary power of God even in the most ordinary. In our kids, anybody. Right? Aren't our kids a perfect example of this? Like every now and then you'll just see something in your child and it's like, oh my gosh. You guys get the point I'm trying to make here? Ordinary, 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 ordinary. And what we always want something more. We always are reaching for the stars. We want something extraordinary. And what we see so often in the scriptures, in fact, predominantly in the scriptures, is that God chooses the ordinary. Uh, um, Like always. The family of Jesse, right? Who was the last kid brought forth? David, why? Because he was the youngest and the puniest. And in those days, and in my family, the youngest didn't get anything. It was always the oldest. God always chooses the ordinary. What is weak to shame, what is wise, right? It's the way he works. And you guys, we have got to stop clamoring to be something that we're not asked to be. We're ordinary. Nothing extraordinary about any one of us, except for the fact that you are made, you've been bought, and you are loved by the creator of the universe. What could be more extraordinary than that? So that's the flip side of this, right? It's ordinary, 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 but when we really start to look at this through the lens of scriptures, not a single one of us is anything close to ordinary. We are made in the image point of the creator. We are loved by the creator. Loved to the point of death by the creator. And invited into the work that he is doing. You and I are invited into the work that he is doing, that he will do. means. Um, has anybody seen the uh, 
Stephen Colbert interview that he did with, um, I can't remember the guy's name, the CNN dude with the white hair, hmm? Anderson Cooper. Has anybody seen this? Go home and YouTube it. It's amazing. So this interview takes place, I'm not sure if it's, this was a current one or if I'm just late to the game and I just saw it. Um, Anderson Cooper is interviewing Stephen Colbert. Does, does anybody here not know who Stephen Colbert is? He's a comedian. Um, I love him. Anderson Cooper had lost his mom two months prior to this interview. And he's interviewing Stephen Colbert about his life and a bunch of different things. And, and Stephen Colbert was the youngest of 11 children, lost his dad and his two oldest brothers when he was 10 in a plane crash. And so Anderson Cooper's interviewing him about a great many things. And he says, I heard you once say in an interview that you have learned to love the thing you wish had not happened. And then he goes on to say, through tears, uh, he said, you, you went on to say in that interview that what punishments of God's are not gifts. Do you really believe that? And Stephen Colbert simply looks at him with a smile and gently says, yes. And the interview goes on. Uh, I wish I could just let you watch it. But here's, here's the point of this. God's not asking you to go out and change the world. He's asking you to trust him today. He's asking you to walk in uh, obedience to him today. We don't know where tomorrow's gonna, what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. He's asked us to, to, to walk faithfully and to be prepared to give an answer. And so when I see something like this interview, yet, right, in the, in the eyes of our culture, in the way that our brains work, in the way that our society works, these are not two ordinary men. They're on TV for crying out loud. They're just people. One man went through an unbelievable tragedy year old kid, now is probably in his late 50s or 60s. Is able to offer someone the grace of Jesus because he trusted his Savior. He's not Most of us in this room have begun at some level to understand this. We're in an ordinary place, and we're ordinary people, living ordinary lives. But God is working. He's working through our successes. He's working through our failures. He's working through our pain. And he's working through our joy. And as we faithfully follow him, the world around us starts to take notice. Because here's the deal, right? Uh, today, and I think this has always been present, that there's always this pressure on the church to be relevant, to change what we do because, you know, we need to sing uh, more popular songs and we need to preach 
um, sermons that appeal to people so that we can draw them into church, so that we can make them love Jesus. Let me tell you something. You cannot make anyone, including your children, love Jesus. And the relevance of what we have been given and what we have to offer the world around us is unending. When we really start to see what it is that the world around us is looking for and what we see that Jesus offers, not what we offer through any of this, but what Jesus offers, we don't have to dress anything up. We've been asked to love people. The ordinary people in the ordinary town of Staten. You and I have been asked to do that. We've also been shown and promised that God will work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I know I need this reminder constantly. Number one, that you are in control and that you are working in ways that only you can work. Throughout Scripture and throughout history, we see so many people contributing to your plan, but you are ever-present. You are the constants. God, we ask that you would help us to remember that as we live our lives, that nothing about it is ordinary because we are loved by you. And the things that this world wants to lift up and to celebrate, Father, are nothing but a vapor. God, help us to celebrate what we have been given. And help and to trust you with what you have given us. We ask all these things in your name, amen.